I'm joined today with Michael Shapira and Austin Zhang, uh, the co-founders, I guess you could say, of this new project, um, Brave Sound Productions in New York City. How are you guys doing? Good. Very good. Yes. Um, man, I don't know. I know that I've looked a lot into this project, figured it out some. Um, which one of you guys want to kind of give a little elevator pitch on it? Because it's really exciting what you guys are doing, but I don't think it's gotten there yet to where a lot of people are going to know about it. Well, the idea really sparked with Austin germinating the idea last summer, so I think he would be the best guy to give the elevator pitch. Yeah, I, I struggle with brevity, so I don't know about that. But, um, <laughs> you know, I have my ideas, and I just like to talk about every nook and cranny. But in short, um, I guess it started when I took a, a semester abroad in Amsterdam, uh, and I was very far away from my audience, from my friends. Um, and I, you know, there, there was a scene out there, and that, that was its own thing, but I felt like I had disappeared in New York and back home. And so I started building a digital presence to kind of be relevant back in the States and, and uh, putting out all these uh, videos and nice recordings of sessions and my original music and all this stuff. Uh, but then it's as I learned more about content creation and the value in digital marketing and being on the internet and spreading your art to people thousands and thousands of miles away, it struck me that this is something that every musician should have. And so I started building up my skills in production and video and audio and just really seeing how uh, jazz music's lack of embrace of new technology is really becoming a big crutch of why it's not um, as widespread or as popular as it could be. And so we, Mike and I, we created this platform, Brave Sound NYC, where we go and document what's on the ground in New York City. We, we call ourselves a digital venue for wonderful New York City musicians. And we go with four cameras and all the audio equipment we can muster and we try to document what's happening here in the best possible way. And then we're working on our marketing side of things as well to reach as many new people and, and uh, as possible. Yeah, and man, it's, it's just wild that this was, uh, you know, you guys came about because I think actually the way Nick and I discovered it was we were sitting there talking about like Emmett Cohen's thing. And we're like, man, this live from Emmett's thing is like actually a killing idea you know it's it's gone more now than just like hey here's an iphone or whatnot like it's it's a production we're like man someone should should do this and then here walks in brave sound productions i mean what do you think for you guys is the is the end goal you know do you want to be more of a spot where um like i kind of think of like smalls or something where you have past shows online and cats can go look at it and it's you know, uh, a, a library at that point, or do you want to be more of something like catching um, the performances as they are live and streaming it in that sense? Because that, you know, technologically is a whole different ballgame, I'm sure, whether we're just capturing and then editing and then post versus trying to accurately capture live music and put it up there as it is happening. Uh, we definitely delve into both aspects of the spectrum, though. So we do uh, create music videos and whatnot and and do a lot of post editing work as well but definitely uh my goal would be to just keep capturing live content that people that don't live in new york but are have an interest and curiosity in 
the music that musicians make in New York can check out without having to go to a New York City club. So basically making jazz music created in New York more accessible for the world to check out. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's a really good point because we talk about, um, at least all the time, and I'm sure you guys talk about when you're teaching students or talking to younger musicians and or just among friends, you know, like with stuff like Instagram now and YouTube, it's so easy to find a trumpet player in Seattle and one in Chicago and one over in France and all of that and just hear everyone play and everything going on there. So what has been some of the hurdles that you guys have discovered taking this on? Because now basically you got a mobile recording rig, you know, and go uh, post it up at someone's place or is everyone coming to your place to do the recording or how have you guys been able to navigate that and just facilitate all of this? Cause it's, you know, it's no small undertaking. Yeah, there's been a lot of space considerations uh, because being students uh, in New York City, we didn't have, we considered like getting like outside investment help to build our own space and and soundproof it well outside and like make it this whole um, community project, right? Uh, but we just decided at this stage in our lives that we weren't <laughs> ready to um, go that far, especially we, when we didn't have any prior business ex- success to tell an investor like, hey, we're gonna do this well and we're gonna do this right. We're, we're just kind of feeling things out. So it was very much bootstrapped, you know, we started off with like the the three cameras that I had, it, had you know, uh, like a, a few dynamic mics and a con- cheap condenser mics, and then we set everything up in this in this bedroom behind me, uh, and we got a drum set in here. We got keys, and like we're and then we're very much bootstrapping with what we have. You know, a lot of people, given the production value of it, I, a lot. One of the first things I get when people finally see the room is they're like, "Wow, all this stuff is in this little." bedroom <laughs> like they're they're like shocked like like it looks like a real like production studio and it's just this like room like I mean it's a big bedroom but it, it is a bedroom you know <laughs> right. um, but so we we started renting a lot of outside space too when we're dealing with artists that are uh, uh, more established and they don't they don't want to they want a different vibe they want a real club they want to they want a grand piano and uh so we will often rent outside spaces, and then, like you said, it is mobile on wheels. Um, can you elaborate on this question of hurdles, uh, specifically with space or just in general? Well, I mean, it's just, um, like, I know one of the things you guys talk about online is, like, the recording industry failed. You know, and it yeah. does. Like, even us as a, a label looks at it and sees the obvious struggles of the recording industry. You know, it used to be you would go on tour to promote a record. Now you make a record to promote your tour and all of this stuff, you know, and then we're seeing that we're seeing like the exorbitant costs of it. You know, no one is selling out their entire catalog of CDs now to make back your money. So with these hurdles of you guys entering in theory into the shared space of like recorded music and venue music, you know, mm-hmm. and recognizing I, uh, either of them and, and like the cost that they have to take into, you know, venues or we're having issues, especially during COVID. Of course, you guys don't have the, the mm. cost of a physical space like we were talking about. But how do you, you know, find the success in it and recognizing the struggles that everything's going through? And like, how do you think that you see yourself grow in this in this space? Mm. So, yeah, the, the broader industries that are facing our music and the music industry as a whole is, uh, you know, that's something we could talk about for 
for for as long as we want you know but yeah. um let's see here i'm very fascinated with this idea of like what is the cheapest way i can capture a, a new a jazz performance uh in very high consumable quality right uh and so we've embraced tons of creative options we've used jack trip to play with musicians over long distances during covid uh, we've embraced a lot of midi instruments and direct inputs to avoid having to have having to purchase less acoustic treatment and uh less microphone gear and more less preamps you know just less inputs uh, yeah. because what we're competing with is this pop industry where you have a singer in his or her bedroom that with just like a single SM58 like Jacob Collier did can produce a Grammy win winning album in his bedroom, right? Yeah. And here yeah. we are, we have a full drum set. We often have grand piano, we have multiple horns. And it's like just the, the considerate, the cost of miking all those things correctly and then treating finding a space where you can even make that much noise to begin with it's just like it's just so much so we found this bedroom that it seems to be cool no neighbors uh no neighbors mess with us we have invested a bit in treatment uh but all the microphones that we own are uh most of them are sub 500 dollars uh now we have some nicer ones as well uh and it's just it's trying to make jazz competitive in the digital digital space because these digital platforms, whether it be Spotify or Instagram, they they value consistency, they value engaging with an audience, uh, not like an album every three years, like Daniel X said, like you know, pieces of content weekly, daily, monthly, uh, and that's just not something that most jazz artists are very inclined towards they like to make this whole production and we tend to be very very um cautious about what we put out you know yeah and so and by building a platform that all musicians can contribute to it's not like you have to be that prolific it's like we book a new artist every week and they can all contribute to this hub where people can find new jazz music and we can play that game as well as other artists because we're just taking contributions from so many artists if that makes any sense yeah it does it does so how do you guys um and you might have found this you know because there are a lot of jazz musicians that i'm sure are very uh traditional if you will you know mm -hmm. how do you balance uh the pick and choosing between you know having that full acoustic band like you were just talking about or not and how do you approach some people with it that might be more uh, hesitant about it? You know, because some people just say like, well, that's, you know, that that's what the music was intended to be. So we got to keep the music like that. You know, it's I'm sure it's some quarrels that you guys have gone up. Well, well, most of the music we are recording, even though initially we had the idea of recording possibly fully MIDI groups, you know, like I, I have a MIDI electronic drum set. Austin has the Ewe sax, which is a MIDI woodwind instrument. And I know Austin also invested in these uh, almost brass mutes that basically take the, the trumpet or, or trombone signal and, and you can use that as a MIDI signal or something along along those lines. The, the silent yeah. brass. Yeah, the but, silent um, brass system. 
Yeah. It doesn't convert to MIDI, but with certain yeah, software. Yeah, but um, initially that was the plan, but we did keep investing in microphones and, like Austin said, acoustic treatment. And a lot of the groups we do nowadays are acoustic, so it's funny how that works. Um, but... <laughs> But still, but still, the goal is to pursue electronic groups as well. But um, but we we don't want to change what the artist is comfortable with in the end. I mean, for instance, one one thing is like keyboard. You know, it, it's a lot. Um, obviously, the restraints of, of getting a, a a grand piano. You know, it's, it's it's a big financial investment. So we have a MIDI keyboard, and that that produces. Right sounds that are really high quality because th there's it's a nice sampling library, but uh, it, it's really a mixed bag with with who we present. But some of the groups are fully electronic. For instance, uh, we did Sam Tao's trio, which was MIDI keyboard, Ewe, as well as electronic drum pad. So it's really a mixed bag. And then we did Mike Clark trio, which was uh, a grand piano, drum set, and, and acoustic bass. Is it um? Because both of you are, are, you know, playing also, you know, playing drums. Uh, Austin, I know you're playing woodwinds and whatnot, sax primarily, but is it a little weird to be going on the other end of it, like realizing where producing comes from? And you're like, wow, I can sit down at a keyboard and just make an entire orchestra if I wanted to. Why do I need to go hire the 55 some odd people or whatnot? You know, like, is it... Is it a little surreal to be doing something too, where you're like, I'm kind of putting myself out of a job, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's something we talk about all the time. We, we're, but at the end of the day, we are jazz musicians, and the records I love, you know, of course, are Miles Davis, Elvin Jones, Sonny Rollins, and you cannot rec uh, recreate that human-to-human -human combat compatibility and incompatibility and interaction uh into using as one person into a daw you can make beautiful music doing that uh, but our mission is to preserve that human to human thing at, at the lowest cost possible you know for just for practical purposes right so right. that's why mike and i we had this duo project where like you said he was playing electronic drums and i was playing um uh, the Kai Iwi, the electronic wind instruments, and I had this like foot pad where I could improvise chords um, with my feet while I'm playing the Iwi. Uh, but that's, in a way, I'm taking somebody's job. Like we didn't hire a keys player or something. Uh, but the main thing is we wanted to pr preserve improvisation and interaction. Like I can, we can let go of the form <laughs> in yeah. the middle of our recording and I can improvise chords and I can improvise the harmonic rhythm and he can he can interact with me even though it's MIDI and so I, what I was trying to what we were trying to go for with this project is say it's not so cut and dry you can use MIDI and you can use production tools and still preserve uh, that element of jazz and improvisation that makes it so appealing to us and I've, I've seen a lot of um, artists utilize production combined with uh, uh, combined with acoustically recorded music or MIDI instruments, uh, a good example would be like uh, like Sean Wayland. Uh, oh yeah, 
yeah, he uses a lot of synthesizers. Uh, Jacob Mann, that stuff's more produced, but obviously he plays his butt off. And but I mean, even uh, like Christian Scott, and then getting into you know Ambrose and more musicians using additional effects like Ben Wendell and whatnot. Yeah, you know. yeah, I think this this stuff all adds musical and production value. Um, it's a lot cheaper than a lot of traditional things. Speaking of yeah. which, uh, it's it's kind of funny to me that, you know, we always, in the jazz world, we always pride ourselves about the, the studio we recorded our records in. Uh, you know, like we we always fantasize about what it'd be like to record in Rudy Van Gelder's or yeah. at the Columbia, Columbia Studio in New York City, you know. And so when we go to make our debut record, we budget you know five to ten grand with tracking and mixing and mastering if not sometimes more even uh to record at famous studio rooms like power station and you know all these capital whatever all these famous studios and what you're paying for is that twenty thousand thirty thousand dollar vintage neumann u47 that m40 that same m49 that miles davis played on and i'm just thinking like man, the Chinese can make a microphone for $150 that gives you, you know, arguably 85 to 92% of the quality, I would say, you know. Yeah. Um, you can create a great high-fidelity stem uh, with an SM58, and you can... It's, it's all about just bringing this... We're doing it ourselves right now. Like, we, we're doing it for musicians as a service, but I, at the end of the day, I would love to educate musicians on how attainable this is like how much a, you know a camera and a few things and really even the cheapest interfaces you can buy the Behringer and the focus right stuff it's like it's all like you can make professional recordings with it and I, I, I just hope that uh, more musicians can get on that ball but absolutely you know. I mean think about it. the amount of people that walk around with an iPhone in your pocket and then realize mm -hmm. that like don't realize that it can record at 4k yeah i mean not that you ever need to record at 4k for half the stuff you're releasing but like it can do it you know mm -hmm. um man it's exciting so what all do you guys have uh coming up in the near future or anything like where can people uh i know i know you guys obviously have your website bravesound.org but what else is coming up where can people get involved come see your shows see past shows anything like that Yes, well, we have several shows upcoming for you guys to check out. Uh, they're all available on our website under events, but this weekend we have Marcos Varela Trio. Uh, that's June 6th. We also have Juan Diego on the 13th. So we typically do shows once a week on every Sunday. Yeah, the 13th. Then the next, the, the next one on the 20th, we have Caroline Davis with Wendy Eisenberg. And to close out the month, we're doing Adam Larson in an undisclosed location in Manhattan. Uh, that's going to be our first live event. Uh, so we're selling tickets as well for a small audience to attend. Killing. That's going to be awesome. It's, it's, it's awesome to see, like, even with something that started as, like, this digital venture, to also be getting back to, you know, live music as we we hopefully see the end to all this and everything, man. But uh, look, I, I appreciate you guys so much for coming on and talking. I know that there's thousands of questions that I have to ask that get really, really nerdy and really music industry and whatnot. Um, 
but it's really exciting to see what you guys are doing. Make sure everyone goes and checks them out at bravesound.org. Um, you can find them on Instagram and everything else too. Keep up with the con concerts. I mean, it's going to be killing no matter what. I know you guys have had Dave Meter play in the past as well. So obviously there's no shortage of killing musicians and great shows. But uh, yeah, thanks again for coming on, Michael and Austin. And uh, looking forward to see what happens. Mm -hmm.